or this morning, First uh, Kings chapter 17, so you can turn there, uh, and then you can put your finger there and flip over to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, and Luke chapter 7 is where we will read to begin. Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 11. And if you would, please stand uh, as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning. It said, Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who has died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the buyer, and the bearer stood still, and he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread throughout the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. I must pray. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you for all you've given us. I thank you for this text of Scripture today and what it shows us about um, you as our, as our Father, that, that you have compassion on us, uh, that you see us in our hurt and our pain, uh, and you sympathize with us, uh, and you meet us there, and you minister to us. And so I pray today that if there's anybody that um, is in that spot today, that today they would be comforted uh, by the good news of the gospel and comforted by what you do for us. Uh, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right. We're just... Uh, these two weeks right after Christmas, we always kind of take some time and just do something a little different. And so this week, we, these last two weeks, we've been looking at something. I just told Mariah, throw it up there. New Year, same Savior, right? And just talking about Jesus and the gospel and what Jesus does for us. And so we've been looking at Luke chapter 7. And one of the things I always want you to see and, and that I've tried to do over the last uh, several years that I've been here uh, is to try to get you to see that the Bible's not just a whole bunch of disconnected individual stories, but the Bible's in fact one story telling one thing about a Savior named Jesus. The, children's, uh, the Jesus Storybook Bible, a children's Bible, puts it this way, that the Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes, that the Bible is most of all a story, an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, everything to rescue the one he loves. It's like the most wonderful fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story. The story of how God loves his children and he comes to rescue them. So when we read stories in the Old Testament, we need to see that so many of those stories aren't terminating on themselves, but they're pointing outside of themselves to Jesus. So when you read about Adam, we realize that Adam failed the test in the Garden of Eden, but then we come to Jesus, who the Bible says is the second Adam, the better Adam, the greater Adam, and he passes the test in the Garden. On the night that he's to be crucified, he's in the Garden, he has the chance to say, hey, I, I don't want to do this, I don't want to go through this. And instead he says, no, not my will, but yours be done, and he passes the test in the Garden for us. 
When you read about lambs being sacrificed in the Old Testament, we're reminded that blood must be shed for the forgiveness of sins and that Jesus is the ultimate sacrifice for sins, that Jesus is the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. See, all the stories in the Bible are, are pointing to Jesus. And tonight, we, or this afternoon or this morning, we see a, a story just like that in, in the book of Luke. Um, if you've got your Bible, go back to 1 Kings chapter um, 17. In 1 Kings 17, we, we hear a story of Elijah. Elijah was uh, a prophet, and, and the prophets in the Old Testament, as many of you know, were tasked with telling people what God said, which was not a very popular job for most of those guys. And Elijah, who's considered one of the greatest Old Testament prophets, because of his relationship with God, was told to go and tell the king of Israel that, that, it, was, that it was not going to rain for years because of his wickedness. And so Elijah goes, he does this, the king's not happy, the king wants to kill him. And so God says, hey, I want you to go hide at this widow's house. She and her son will take care of you. So he goes and he's staying with this woman and her son. And in verse 19 of 1 Kings 17, we read this story. Ah, and sorry, verse seven, uh, 1 Kings 17, 17, sorry. It says, after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. And she said to Elijah, What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, Give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up into the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? Then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah, and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth it's true. And so the boy dies. Elijah takes him upstairs. He prays for him. He lays himself over him three times. And God brings this boy back to life. And it says, after that happened, he delivered this boy to his mother. Now flip back over to Luke chapter 7. And I told you last week that Luke 7 contains four stories about four different people from four different walks of life and how they encountered Jesus. And last week we met the Roman army captain whose servant was sick and the Jewish leaders go to get Jesus and say, hey, this is a good man. He's done so much for our people. He, uh, he's done all these good works and so he's deserving or worthy of you to come and heal his servant. And all of a sudden the, servant, the, Roman, hear, the Roman captain hears what they've said about him and he sends the servant and says, listen, I don't know what these guys told you, but I am not worthy to have you come and heal my servant. But I know you are, and so all you have to do is say the word, and I know my son will be healed, or my servant will be healed. And that's exactly what happens. And what we said is, is this, is that the way we approach God is not by our worthiness, because we don't have any. We approach God through the worthiness of Jesus Christ. And so tonight, today what we see is a, another person from a different walk of life and how they encounter Jesus and so in Luke chapter 7, look with me again, if you will, in, in verse 11. This is right after he's healed the centurion's servant. It says, soon afterwards, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. 
And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. So the town of Nain was 25 miles from Jesus' home base of Capernaum. And so as Jesus is entering this town, there's this group of people coming towards him. And what it is, is it's a funeral procession. And they're carrying a child, and surrounding the coffin uh, were professional mourners. So in those days when somebody died, you went out and you hired professional mourners to come in for you. Now, depending on the amount of money you had, depended on the kind of actors that you could get, right? So if you were rolling in it, you could probably get the A-team, the varsity-level mourners, to come out and to do the show for you. If you were poor, yeah, you know, you had to get the guy that failed theater class to come in uh, and, and help you out. And so these people are in front of it, and they were putting on a show. They were screaming and, oh, and just weeping for this boy who had died. And at the front of the procession stood a woman who you could tell hadn't slept. She stood slumped over, mourning the loss of her son. The Bible says that she was a widow, so it means her husband had already died. And now she's burying their only child together. And so whatever was left of this woman's once happy life is now gone. And with no husband, with no son, she had no way of providing for herself. So in this culture, women didn't work. Period. It wasn't like she could just go out and get a teaching job or go out and, and do something. Women didn't work. You, you depended on, on your husband or one of your sons to take care of you. And so this woman is now all alone in the world. This woman has no hope of a future. And I can't imagine what it must be like for her to now go to bed and not hear her child's footsteps in the house. Right? One of the things you learn when you're a parent is that you can recognize your kid's footsteps without even having to see them. Right? So, so my oldest one's really heavy-footed like me. And so I hear, boom, boom, boom. Right? We can hear Lucy as she goes through the house. As the, as the, the, the buggy wheels go over the, over, the, over the hardwood floor. Right? And then Lincoln just all the time. Right? You, you, you just know. You hear them. And I can't imagine what it was like for her to go to bed and not hear that anymore. And so this is where she's at. And in verse 13, look what happens. It says, And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. When he saw her, he had compassion. The, the word compassion is splenitsomai in the Greek. And, and it means compassion or it means pity, but, but it's deeper than that. It's a very emotionally charged word. So it goes way deeper than just going, oh, that's, that's too bad, right? It, it goes deeper than just giving somebody the pity smile. Have you ever had the pity smile? Every time we go to Target, we get the pity smile. You know? You get used to the pity smile. It goes deeper than that. It's this sense or this feeling that things aren't right and that you have to do something about it. So it means to be moved to the core of who you are. So in other words, when Jesus saw this woman grieving, the air went out of Jesus. See, Jesus is sinless and selfless. And we are not. We are sinful and selfish. And oftentimes we don't feel compassion when we should because we just can't get out of our own way, can we? 
Oftentimes, we're so wrapped up in thinking about ourselves and all of our problems and all of our woes and how bad we have it that we can't feel compassion for others the way that we should. But that's not how Jesus is. Jesus' empathy is real. So that means that if you're here today, you may be hurting. And maybe your hurt is so bad that you can't talk about it, but you can. And, and I want you to listen to me. You can take it to Jesus. You can know, based on what this text has just showed us, is that Jesus sees you, and that he has compassion for you, and that he cares for you. But see, not only does Jesus have empathy for this woman, he speaks kind words to her. He looks at her and he says, do not weep. Now, I know to us that sounds like he's looking at her and going, just suck it up, lady, it ain't that bad. But that's not what he's doing. He's, he's expressing genuinely, genuine care for her. He's saying, listen, don't continue to cry because I want you to watch what I'm about to do. Check this out. And look what he does in verse 14. It says, then he came up and he touched the buyer and the bear stood still. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. So Jesus walks up, and he touches the buyer, which was kind of the cop that they carried dead people on. And he walks up, and as he walks up, the whole procession just gets quiet as he reaches out and touches that buyer. Because in that day and age, based on the Old Testament law, you didn't touch anything that had a dead person on it. So, so what he's doing is kind of a no-no. And so now that he's done that, he has to quarantine for seven days and stay away from everybody, right? That's pretty good. I never thought about that. It just came to me. He's got to stay away from everybody. So these people stop. The mourners stop wailing. And Jesus walks up, and I love it because he says, Young man, I say to you, rise. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us that this was the mission of Jesus after all. In 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 55, he says, When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? And O death, where is your seeing? Jesus says, Wake up. And what he does is that he reaches down into death and he pulls this young man back to life. And what I want you to see is that he just spoke. He spoke to a cold corpse, and the boy heard him. So the young man was dead in body, but he was alive somewhere. So what it means is for humans, death is only death of the body. The spirit lives on. And so this young man hears the voice of Jesus, and he obeys. He sits up, and he says, hey, I'm hungry. What's for dinner? Got a hot pocket? Something, Mom. I, I need something. And if you're the guy holding the buyer at that point, and he does that, I'm screaming, dropping the buyer, I'm gone. And see, the same voice that raised this boy from the dead will one day return, and with that same voice, he will raise the dead again. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 15 through 18, Paul says, For this we declare to you by word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So therefore, encourage one another with these words. 
R. Kent Hughes puts it this way. He says, the voice that raised that poor babbling young man from his coffin will be trumpeted into the depths of the sea, into the roots of the mountains, into the diffused dust and lost molecules of God's physically dead children and all who know Christ will hear it. Jesus then takes the boy and he gives him to his mother. You remember our story in 1 Kings? What did Elijah do? Took the boy and he handed him to his mother. See, Luke has put this language in there intentionally so that we would see that Elijah was pointing us to Jesus, that Jesus was a greater Elijah, that Jesus was a better Elijah. And it said that fear seized them, and they said, hey, a great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. So Jesus had come in Elijah-like power, but I want you to see the huge difference. Elijah had to cry out to God and lay himself on the boy three times to bring him back from the dead. All Jesus did was speak. He speaks and the boy listens. He speaks and death is defeated. See, Jesus as God came from heaven to be near you and I. So you may be here in this room and maybe you're grieving the loss of a loved one It may be, it's not death. Maybe you've lost a friendship. It it may be your marriage is bad or maybe your marriage is struggling. Maybe you have a hurt that you're afraid to talk about. Maybe you're just wrestling with inner demons that nobody knows about. And what this story shows us is that we do not have a God who just gives you the pity smile. We have a God who feels compassion for you. We have a God who feels compassion in your hurt and your pain. We have a God who looks at you and says, things shouldn't be this way. We have a God who hurts with you. You have a God who stepped into your pain and he lives a perfect life. He does nothing wrong. He's hung on a cross to die. And on the cross, all the sins of this world are laid on him instead of on us. Three days later, he didn't stay dead, but he rose again, defeating death. See, the resurrection is God's sign to us that all the sad things in this world will come untrue. And one day, he will come back and set things right. See, the cross shows us that Jesus lost his Father's hand so that you and I never have to. Jesus loves you. Jesus has compassion for you, and he wants you To bring your hurts, your pains, your fears, all those things to him, knowing that, listen to me, he has the power to minister to your deepest needs. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to do everything you ask him to do, but he'll always do what is best for your well-being and for his glory. Always. And the last thing I want you to see is this, is that these people, they marveled at Jesus' miracle. Right? They said, oh, a great prophet has risen among us. And they marveled about what has happened. But they didn't come to faith in Jesus. They loved the magic trick. And they loved the fact that he was a nice guy that just did something nice for this widow lady. But they didn't recognize him as God. And see, what Luke does here is he forces our hand. Because we have to decide on our own, was Jesus just a good man? Or was he who he claimed to be, the son of God who takes away the sins of the world? And see, that's a decision that we all have to make. Because if he is God, listen, if he is God and he has provided for our salvation, then that means he deserves our entire life. And that we are obedient to him 
and that we're just like this boy that we listen and we obey. See, when the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts and gives us belief, we then believe and obey. It's that simple. So as we go into 2021, what that means is that some of us maybe need to repent of some areas where we're not being obedient. And and I'm going to say this, repentance is not a dirty word. A lot of people like to say, oh, it's a bad word. No, 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 it's not. Repentance isn't a divine spanking. It's an invitation for us to step into life as God wants for you. Repentance is where we go. You know what? I see this thing that I'm pursuing. I see this thing that I'm obeying is not of you. I see that this thing is not leading me into the fullness of joy. It's not leading me into your presence like it should be. And so I repent and I turn away from that thing and I trust you. And so many of us are pursuing things that are not leading us into God's fullness. And today, maybe this is what this story is teaching you, is that we need to put our faith and trust in Jesus and repent of those things. And as we go into 2021, say, hey, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to pursue the things that you want from me, not the things that I want to pursue. And so do you know Jesus today? Is Jesus the Lord of your life today? Or is he just some cool guy that you've heard about? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've given us. Father, I thank you for this story. Uh, Father, I thank you for the comfort it brings to me to know that um, I don't have a God who just stands back and gives me the pity smile when things are going difficult or when I'm hurting. Instead, I have a God who stepped into my hurt and pain. I have a God who has compassion on me. And so I pray today that if there's somebody in here that just needs to hear that today, that they would embrace that truth, that Jesus has compassion on us that Jesus took our sins to the cross, that Jesus lost your hand on the cross so that we never have to, and that today they would rest in that, today they would take their hurts and their pains uh, and their struggles to Jesus and lay them down at his feet. Father, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, I pray that today, that as the gospel's been preached, that you've opened hearts to believe and that you've saved in this room today and that they would not leave here without trusting in you. And then finally, as we start a new year, show us those areas of life that we're we're pursuing things that are not of you. We're pursuing things that are robbing us of our joy. And that we would repent of those things and we would step into the life that you've called us to live. Thank you, Father, for all you've given us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you would, please stand.